But we are talking on spiritual warfare. And I would say many of our frustrations in life are simply because we're not appraising things spiritually to the degree we should. And we are fighting with our fellow man and we're fighting and getting frustrated and angry and bitter of heart because of people and the way they are and they're mean and they're... And, and the Bible is saying, you know what? Whatever percentage, I mean, what is the percentage of our battles are spiritual? I think we're going to find out it's a lot, lot more than we realize. Because Satan is manipulating this world system. Hollywood is spewing Satan's nonsense. In many, in many political realms, including our own country, Satan is spewing, he's like puppet. He's up there like a puppeteer and having them say and do the most ridiculous things to oppress, especially the Christians. They had an environmental group that met, different nations got together, and I was watching some of it, little clips of it, through uh, one of the, the YouTube podcasts there, and the theme was that Christians or people that believe in an afterlife are the number one people destroying the planet because they've got heaven, so poop on this earth. I don't care if I destroy this earth. i got heaven. And so they basically the theme was everybody who believes in an afterlife is the real enemy against making this earth better. Interesting. We're going to learn this next Wednesday that actually we are to be stewards, gardeners, caretakers of the animals and plant life through the whole world. And so we have been. But again, I, I think that we, we, we don't realize that sometimes Satan is the one instigating, stirring up our flesh as he's stirring up the world systems. He's stirring up our flesh or other people's flesh to rub us the wrong way, to be against us. So we are fighting Satan. We're fighting the world. We're fighting the flesh. So last week, we began to look at this, and I want to reread those verses in 10 through 14. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So he is telling you, you, you can be strong. You can have a successful war against Satan, or you can lose against Satan. And he is saying, you should be winning. And so if you're strong in the Lord, you should be winning more than you're losing. Now, I, I believe and most believe he's sitting in the jail cell in Rome and he's observing the various soldiers that are coming in and out and watching him. And he therefore, uh, the Holy Spirit begins to give him this uh, analogy <clears throat> of the various things the Roman soldier would be wearing to what if he were looking in the spiritual realm, what the, the, the armor of a Christian would be wearing. And it looks very similar, except one is made out of spiritual material, and the other is made out of physical, earthly material. So he says, put on the whole armor of God. There's part of the mistake. Some people, they walk around completely naked except for a sword. They're in the word, but they don't have a helmet, they don't have their breastplate, there's nothing around their, 
their waist, they don't have shoes on. So you've got to get on the whole armor. And this is the theme in these verses we looked at last week, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When we're fighting against the devil, the enemy in the spiritual realm, um, we're not going to have overwhelming victories from our point of view. You know, we're going to be bloody and bruised, and these demons will go on back to do whatever they're going to do. The, the, the goal is that we are standing at the end of this. And in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Ding, 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 ding. Get that in your head. Boy, that, that helps so much when we quit trying to fight demons with a literal sword. I mean, if you had a literal sword made out of metal and you're fighting an angelic being, demonic being, you're, you're just going to be slicing through the air, aren't you? And he's going to be standing there going, are you kidding me? We, we have to have a spiritual weapon in order to penetrate the spiritual demon. And so we need to realize we're not fighting as flesh and blood. Our, our physical prowess, our mental prowess won't be enough. Because these guys are all kinds of different types. There's principalities, there's powers, there's the rulers of darkness, there's a spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. There are all kinds of various types and degrees. We don't know what they are, and people who write books on it should be ashamed of themselves. We don't know. Don't speculate. Verse 13, therefore take up, once again, the whole armor of God that you may able withstand in the evil day, having done all, what? You stand. There it is a second time. And then what's verse 14 say? Stand, therefore. Okay? Stand firm. Be grounded. Literally, in the NSAB translation, it says stand firm. In the New Living Translation, it says stand your ground. You're, you're, you're positioned yourself to, if somebody pushed you, you're not going to be moved. Stand therefore. And now he gives us the first two we looked at last week. Having girded your waist with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we covered that last week. You know, when I think of stand I think of David's mighty men who really were strong in the Lord and they carried out in the physical realm. In the Old Testament, it's literal and physical. In the Old Testament, David had a literal giant who was a spiritual being as well that he fought and won over. In the New Testament, it's spiritual. And we have that, those giants to fight. But nevertheless, each of these give us a great little view. I love Eleazar in 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10. It tells us he was one of the great 300 mighty men of, of uh, David there, that these Philistines gathered and all the men of Israel fled. But he rose up and he attacked. He went on the offense and attacked the Philistines. And his hand became weary in the sword and the sword stuck to his hand. And God, through him, through his faith of standing, brought about a great victory. And then the people returned <laughs> that had run off in cowardice and took the spoils. And then we know Shammah in 2 Samuel 23, verse 11 and 12. He also um, was ordered, evidently, hey, your part, your, your part of this battle is this area here where lentils are buried. 
the lentil bean <laughs> filled. So you win and make sure the Philistines don't take this property here of the lentil beans. And again, he stood still and the people fled. Once again, it's, he's by himself. But he stationed himself, stand therefore, in the middle of the field. And he defended it and killed the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. And then in verses 20 and 21 of that 2 Samuel 23, Benaniah. And he was one who was, had done many mighty deeds. For example, there were two uh, Moabites, and these guys were lion-looking. They were just gigantic and lion-looking men. They were men, but they looked like lions. And he killed them both. And then also, there was a lion on the prowl killing a village, and they couldn't get him. But this particular lion had fallen into a pit, which gave him an advantage to fight the lion, and it was snowing. And he went down into that pit where that lion was angry and mad and trapped on a snowy day and killed an actual lion. And then they went to another battle, and the Goliath of that battle, if you would, was an Egyptian man who was spectacular, gigantic guy, and he had a spear. And it just so happened that all that Ben and I had on him at that time was a staff. Maybe he was out taking care of the sheep or out for a walk. But he wrestled that spear out of this magnificent Egyptian, this spectacular man. He wrestled the spear away from him with only having his staff. And then he killed that Egyptian with his own spear. Having the position to stand, to stand and not be moved, to resist the devil, He'll flee from you. Well, we pick up in verse 15 now. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, the Roman soldiers' shoes were very, very important. And they knew this. So what's the first thing that causes us to stand and be grounded? A good pair of shoes, right? And this is one of the things they did is they would tie them around with a like a big giant bow, if you would. And as they tied it around, they would tie it around their foot and then it would go up their ankle and up their leg and it would give them great stability and they would put nails into it and spikes and sort of like modern day cleats. And um, they were incredibly enduring. And so when they would be ready for this battle, they weren't gonna be slipping and, and uh, their feet taken out from underneath them. Their feet were going to be firmly grounded. As Christians, our footing <laughs> is very, very important. That we are not moved, but we stand fast. The Bible tells us that we are to stand fast in the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians 15.1, it declares, he said, I declared to you the gospel, that which I preached, that which you received, in which you stand. So in this spiritual battle, we need to first stand. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because I know it's the power of God to everyone who believes. And I can tell you, as of late, and really First time in my Christian life, having going out every Thursday and witnessing, 
You get guys that go from atheists to radically giving their life to the Lord. And, and, and to see when you stand fast on the simplicity of the gospel and the truth of God, how powerful it is. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit just changing their hearts and their minds to the power of this simple gospel. What is that gospel? Paul tells us it may be different than what you think. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 5, I deliver to you, first of all, that you received that Christ, number one, died for our sins according to the scripture, right? Isaiah 53, he bore our transgressions. He carried our, our iniquity. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was pierced through for our iniquities. And his chastisement, the well-being, fell upon him by his stripes. We are healed. So number one, is we stand in the fact that Christ died for our sins. He was punished for our sins. He took the punishment that we should have gotten. Secondly, that he was buried. That's it. What's the second part of the gospel? He was buried. He really was dead. He wasn't pretend dead. He really was dead. Well, the Bible says a soul that sins shall die, but Jesus never sinned, so how is it he could die? Our sins put him to death. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. It was everybody from Adam till the end of time. Every man, woman, child who ever lives on this planet, is the, their sins have put Christ to death. He really died. He was buried. That's the second thing. So the first thing, he died for our sins according to the scripture. Secondly, he was buried. Third, he arose on the third day, once again, according to the scriptures. This was clearly prophesied. And that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. So what is the gospel? Those three things. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scripture. Say it with me, okay? Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Second, he was buried. Third, he rose again on the third day according to the scripture. That's it. That's it? That's all I share? Watch the power of God. You know what I mean? Hunker down and wait for the nuclear explosion. Because it is powerful. If you stand in it and have faith in it, you'll be amazed what that simple gospel can do. That little seed and the Holy Spirit who's already been working on them, convicting him of sin and righteousness and a judgment. And the Holy Spirit's upon you. The Holy Spirit's upon them. And now they'll know the truth. The truth will set them free. Paul says in Corinthians that I'm afraid for you that you leave the simplicity that's in Christ for a different gospel. Just like the serpent deceived Eve, so you would be deceived. What was, the, what was it that she would deceive them? Leaving the simplicity of the gospel. Well, you've got to make sure they really commit their life to the Lord, don't you, Brian? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. It is to say that. Well, you've got to make sure that, you know, at least six months they walk obediently. Then they can get out of the probationary period. And then maybe we can say they're born again after they get baptized. 
No, guys. Just like the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's not of ourselves. It's not of works. So <clears throat> we are now looking at the second part of this passage, which is telling us we are shodding our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so the gospel, we stand in the gospel. We stand in the grace. We know that, don't we? Romans 5, 2, and through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which, what? We stand. We stand there rejoicing, laughing, because we have total hope of eternal life, the glory of God. In 1 Peter 5, 12, <clears throat> he says, Our faithful, to Salvanus, our faithful brother, consider him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. In what? In which we stand. What else causes us to stand? The simplicity of the gospel and the power of it. What else do we stand firm in? The grace of God. What else do we stand firm in? The mercies of God. In Lamentations 3, I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies were not consumed, because his compassions fell not, for they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, <clears throat> O God. In Romans 14, 4, he says to each of us, God alone is our judge, and to that one judge we stand our fall. Indeed, God is able to make us stand. He is able to make each and every one of us stand. How? Because of his mercies that are new every morning, because of his grace that he pours out. The word preparation means exactly what you're thinking it does, to prepare ahead of time. And so <clears throat> we need to have our shoes on all the time. We need to have them tightened up. We need to constantly be tightening them up. We need to constantly be adjusting because we don't know when the enemy's coming. What is that? It's preparing ourselves with the gospel of peace. It's being ready in season and out of season. We don't know when we're, we'll be needed to fight, if you would. And, you know, it's so often that you're, you don't see it coming. But it's so important that we realize as we prepare ourselves, Christ has pre already prepared us for that victory. Man, so many verses, but in 2 Corinthians 2, it, it says we are, when we share the gospel, we're always led in triumph in Christ. Whether they believe or don't, life unto life, death unto death, we are always victorious. And this is what he is saying. You're, you're firmly standing. You're always prepared to do what? to share the gospel, and we're always going to have victory. The word's never going to return void. It's always going to accomplish what it was sent out to do. But we need to remember this. This is important. In Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. In Romans 8, talking about uh, Satan does not, he may win some battles, but he doesn't win the war. Who shall separate us from the love of God or the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? Man, we're getting, we're in a battle. Guys, we're really getting beat up. We're really getting bruised. We are really getting damaged at times, aren't we? As a matter of fact, in 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy 2.11, it says, this is a faithful saying, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. We have that at the end of Hebrews 11, those who died from the sword, died in caves, died from being sawn in two. But yet we win the war. But going back in Romans 8, verse 37 to 39, yet, he just said we are destroyed by the tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, perilous sword. But yet, these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So you may be in a place right now that you're losing the battle. You may be in a place right now that you're getting beat up. You may be in the midst of the battle going, we're losing, we're losing. (laughs) But you're not. You're not losing. Because we are always going to end up winning the war because of Christ who loved us. And Paul was in prison. Paul saw many of his fellow Christians put to death. The Apostle James was killed just a few months after Christ rose from the dead. Man, that's ridiculous. The Lord spent three years discipling Peter, James, and John, especially. And James, he worked with them for years and years for him to have a few months of ministry, and then he died. Isn't that a loss? No, that was always God's plan. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Some people think, I wish I'd just die. I'm doing good with the Lord this week. It's been a victorious battle and I've won over my flesh this week. This is a good day to have a heart attack. Life is what I'm afraid of, not death. Don't be afraid of life. Don't be afraid of angels or principalities or powers, nor things present, nor things what? To come. I'm confident Christ freed my sins today and my past sins is my future ones I'm afraid about. (laughs) Because I can get really weak sometime. No, he's there in the future equally. Nor height, nor depth. Doesn't matter how high, doesn't matter how low. Or other created things, man, demons, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children. You have overcome them. Because he who is greater, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we're ready with that gospel. We're prepared. We're lacing up. We're tightening up. We're we're grounded in the gospel, in the grace, in the mercy, in the power that comes. And and we're ready now, knowing life into life, death into death, whether they receive it or not, we are always victorious as we share the gospel. And this is what Paul is saying. Just picture just a minute. Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians 11 says, man, I've been beaten in the cities. I've been beaten in the countries. I've been shipwrecked three times. A fourth one would come later. I've been beaten by my countrymen. I've been beaten by the Gentiles. I've been robbed. I, and he goes to this giant list. He had been beaten with whips several times. He had been imprisoned. He actually died from being stoned to death. (laughs) 
And he says, how did I have victory? Sharing the gospel. How did I have victory? Telling people that Jesus Christ died for their sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. And I've seen the demonic host just melt under that gospel. And it brings peace. This is the thing. The gospel brings joy and gladness and peace. Peace is found in Christ. Guys, we are here today because we know the only true peace in our spirit comes from God, right? And even God had to send his only begotten son to die for our sins, to be punished for our sins, that the Holy Spirit could come into our lives and give us peace. So we have peace from God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, and there is not peace in being rich. Oh man, only if I had a few million dollars, oh, I'd be at peace. Not true. Only if I was the top of my success, whatever that is, being a doctor, a lawyer, a plumber, or a businessman, or Whatever it is, if I'm at the top and everybody recognizes that I'm the most successful in my field, then I'll have peace. Getting married, having kids, having vacations. We find that there's no peace in our soul except apart from Christ. In Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but what? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of peace, may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Boy, I, I cannot put all the times Jesus spoke peace in the Gospel of John. You know, the Gospel of John was the last Gospel. And he says, the reason I'm preaching this to you is that you might know Jesus the Son of God and have life in his name. It's a really a, a track. He doesn't put a lot of parables in, doesn't put a lot of Jewish stuff in. It, it's just the pure Gospel. But yet, I, I think of this basically second-generation Christians, if you would, they were lacking peace. And it's amazing that John points out how many times that he kept speaking to his apostles and to those who would believe through the apostles that he is the bringer of the peace. For example, in John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come to accept to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life, and you might have it more, what? Abundantly. And then in 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give to you. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you that you may, that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation. Amen to that. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28, 30 here, you know, correlate rest for your souls as peace, abundant life as peace. I don't think you can have abundant life without peace, and I don't think you can have rest for your souls without peace. 
But he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, all you are labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Yes, following Jesus, you've got to deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow him. But when the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, when you have the peace of the Holy Spirit, when you're at rest in him, that cross is not heavy, is it? It's joyful. It's not destroying me or confining me or wasting my life. Quite the opposite. Carrying the cross is denying yourself. Putting everybody's interest before your own. Seeing everybody is more important than yourself. Being a servant to all men. We do it with great joy. Hope, I think, is necessary as well to have peace. Only in Christ is there eternal hope. In Ephesians 2.12, he says, we all were aliens and strangers. We all were without hope and without God in this world. I also think that the peace encourages us to see how the gospel brings such joy. You know, this is the thing as you read through Acts. I only have a couple of references, but when they preach the gospel, joy came to these dark cities. For example, this Romans 8, it was this sorcerer, Simon, who was the power of this city and under his darkness of Satanism. But Stephen just came down and he openly preached the gospel. And many of them received the Lord. And it says in Acts 8, 8, and there was great joy in that city. In Acts 13, the same things. The Gentiles heard this. They were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How beautiful it is that God, seeing us as soldiers, ready, prepared for the preparation of what? The gospel of peace. That every one of us are standing fast in the grocery stores, at the gas pump, in our neighborhood, in the workplace, and we're sharing the gospel. Paul says again in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Evidently, the Romans were. In Rome, they were a very affluent society. They were a very intellectual society. They were a very wealthy society. And to go up and say, I would like you to believe that this Jew from Nazareth, over there in Israel, is actually God's son, and it's only through him to be saved. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians? God is well pleased with the foolish message that was preached. To the one, to the Jew, it's a stumbling block. To the Greek, the intellectual, the wealthy Roman, it's foolishness. But to him who believes, it's the wisdom and the power of God. You guys are sitting here because somebody had their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace somewhere. And they got out of their comfort zone. They died a thousand deaths. And they somehow conveyed to you that Christ died for their sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. And you believed and after you believed, you had great joy and you had peace in believing. And the power of God began to rest upon you as well. And now we, 
Um, we come to that place where we need to be sharing the gospel as well. How beautiful it is to the Lord. In Romans 10, you know that passage well. In verse 14 and 15, how will they believe unless somebody tells them? How will somebody tell them unless somebody preaches? How will somebody preach unless they are sent? And then he basically says, we're all sent. Matthew 28, right? Jesus has already sent us into all the world. How beautiful, from God's point of view, he's looking at these feet, these soldiers' feet, these guys with nails and spikes. They're not going to move back. They're not going to be ashamed. They're not going to be feeling foolish. They're not going to listen to the devil and, and all his minions saying that if we share the gospel, we're a bunch of weirdo street people, you know, yelling at the moon, you know. We can't let him affect us. we got to see ourselves as warriors. Warriors in God's army. We're magnificent. Like Shama and Benaniah and Eleazar. And we're, we're mighty soldiers in God's kingdom. And we're fighting for their souls. God's spirit's been convicted of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. And now... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. There it is again. Who brings glad tidings of good things. Interesting, when Paul wrote this to Rome, he had already written the book to, of Ephesus, to Ephesians. And without going through the whole soldier thing, because they probably read the, the letter from Ephesus as well, they would have caught this reference in Romans 10. How beautiful are those Soldiers' feet prepared with that gospel that brings peace, shalom, bringing glad tidings of good things. Isn't that wonderful? That's what the angel said to Mary. The Messiah is coming, and the Messiah is going to bring glad tidings of good things. And then the heavenly hosts sang about it to the shepherds. Remember? In 2 Timothy 4, he says, Timothy, you picture, and every believer, picture you're standing before God and the great joyful day that the rewards are being passed out because all of us have won our Olympics. <laughs> we are all getting prizes from the Olympics. And I picture this grand, grand building. Blows your mind how beautiful it is and and there the Lord is sitting upon the throne and the glassy sea, the water, his grace pouring down, making a, a lake. And, and there is all the seraphim and the seraphim. And there's a lot of movement. And there we are all, ten thousands times ten thousands. And our name is called. <laughs> and we're coming to get our reward. He says, picture this. You're standing before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. The best rewards are going to be preaching the word. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, when it's comfortable, when it's uncomfortable. Do you know, you know how many times I've witnessed in my life in season? Probably three times. I picked up a hitchhiker back in the day. This is back in the early uh, well, in, in the late 70s. And I picked up this hitchhiker and, and uh, it was like maybe 7 o'clock and I'm like, hey, what's going on? He goes, I just couldn't do the bar scene again tonight. I am so empty. There's got to be more to this. 
I just, you know, I just joined the Navy. I'm only 19 years old and life is so empty. I can't live another day. Do you have any help at all you can give me? I was in season. Okay. And I shared the Lord with that guy all the way to the Navy base. He gladly received the Lord. But most of the time, I'm feeling awkward. They're feeling awkward. It's bad timing. They don't have time. I don't have time. There's just sort of this demonic feeling like I'm going to be a nerd. I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm going to sound foolish. I'm going to be putting my foot in my mouth. I'm going to say the wrong things. I'm not going to say the right things. I'm not going to say enough. I'm going to say too little. The guy's going to spit on me and walk away. I'm sure, you know, that's, that's always when I share the Lord. <laughs> But then you, you talk to them and say, do you know how to have eternal life? And just to see the power of God begin to work. And again, it's not a comfortable thing. This is why it says in 2 Timothy 4, 5, but you be watchful in all things. What? Endure affliction. Being a soldier, your feet being shod means you're in the battle. And guess what happens when you're in the battle? You are going to get wounded. You are going to get rejected. But do the work of an evangelist. He doesn't say have the calling or have the anointing. He just said, just plow the field. How many farmers do you think are out? They've been plowing their field for 40 years. And it's time to go plow his field again. And he's going, oh, yippee, I get to go plow my field. Plowing, farmers have the deepest character because... They literally are setting some of these big farms. You're setting, making one trench for three hours. I mean, for 30 minutes. You turn around, and now you're driving the opposite direct, making another little trench for 30 minutes. And you're going to do that for four weeks straight before you finish plowing your field. Yeah, these just plow the field, man. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So, so far, we have the belt of truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. Our feet now are shod. They're they're got the, like the golf shoes, you know, the spikes in there. Got the spikes in deep. We're not going to move. It's simple. The simple gospel. Nothing fancy, nothing dancy, just Christ and him crucified. And, And now we're going to the next thing in verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So he says, above all. So, hey, this is, a, this is really important. I, I want you to understand that the other things I said are important as well, but this one is a really important one. And he says, get the shield. Now, the breastplate is always on. The belt is on. The, the shoes are on. But... The shield, you got to keep picking it up, setting it down, picking it up, setting it down, right? So, you know, the reaction, somebody's fighting, the reaction is, you know, whip your sword out. And it's like, ah, you know, the fiery darts are coming. No, he says, make your first move to grab the shield. And this particular word for shield is not the round one, like, like about the trash size of the trash can lid, you know, 50-gallon trash can. It's not that size. This one is the four foot high, two feet wide. It's like a door. It's actually, that's the Greek word here, is door. Grab your door. <laughs> and it would be covered in uh, wood that, that would hopefully stop 
burning. It often often be covered in different metals. So when the fiery darts, that word dart is actually missile. When those missiles come, it'll hit the door and then be snuffed out. That's the idea. Here's a quote. The Roman Therios was two feet wide, four feet long. It was used to ward off the blows of the enemy and to hide behind when enemy archers uh, let go of the volley arrows. It contained layers of wood and hide and sometimes bronze. When flaming darts would hit it, they would stick in, but then be snuffed themselves out in the hide of the, the hide of the, um, on the uh, shield. The Romans could kneel down on the ground and erect a wall of shield around them together as a group called the Flanox to block out flaming missiles as they advance. See, here's the cool thing. You get your shield up, everybody else puts their shield up, you put it together, and those doors now make this giant wall. So not just the guys carrying these big shields are protected, but other guys who are carrying the spears or the bows and arrows that can't carry shields, you're a shield for them as well. I love this, because we are always stronger together as a church, aren't we? If we all together put up our shields, so often one person's getting beat up, but we need to come together as a body and put our shields up all around them to keep them from getting injured anymore. And he says there, you are able to quench. The word able is the word dunamai, power. We know this word well. You are powerful. And through that power, you're going to quench these fiery darts, these missiles. It's actually the, the word there is, uh, for fiery is in the perfect tense, which means it's going to keep on burning. These fiery darts are going to keep coming. And then these darts weren't just you set the wood on fire. They'd have a big bowl of pitch. And, and so it would flame up when it hit the thing or splatter. And, and the, the, um, whatever they had on it, like the tar, would splatter and, and get on everybody and burn a lot of people. And then it just kept burning. You could try to stomp it out, but it would be very hard. It just was in this pitch that would keep dripping and, and splattering and burning. And this is what he is saying. What are those missiles? We know them. Condemnation, doubt, fear, evil thoughts, imaginations, depressions. Satan is a liar. And he is speaking lies. And these burning lies, they go right deep in our insecurities. And if we are not strong, we don't know a lot of the Bible, then, then we're taken advantage of. Boy, I, when, I, I love that temptation story where Jesus is being tempted by Satan and Satan gives him this verse and I'm like, whoa, man, how is Jesus going to come back with on this one? It seems to me like Satan's won the battle. And then Jesus pulls out this verse I'd never heard before. But boy, it fit perfect and poof, that dart went out. And then Satan came up with another twisted verse. And I'm like going, oh boy, that's it. Checkmate. This battle's over. Jesus is lost. Because that verse so much says the opposite of what's true. And then Jesus pulls another verse out. I'm like, I didn't know that verse was in the Bible. And boom, that fiery dart goes out. 
Well, when people aren't strong in the word, maybe you're an old Christian who quit reading the word a few years ago and you just don't remember a lot of the important verses. Or maybe you're a new Christian, you just haven't read a lot of the Bible. Well, again, you're not going to have the ability to snuff out those lies of the enemy. The devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. He has always lied. He hates Jesus and anybody who follows and loves Jesus. We've got to combat Satan's lies with the truth, the word of God. Jesus said this in John 8, 32. You shall know the what? Truth, and the truth will make you free. The Bible is the truth, guys. 1 John 5, 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. What? Our faith. There it is. What is that shield? It's the shield of faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. Romans 1, 17, we know well. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it's written, the just shall live by faith. And one of the things in living by faith is we're snuffing out the lies, the twistedness, uh, the twisting Christianity, twisting Bible verses, twisting our brains with Bible verses to try to get us to say the Bible's not true, God's not true, the church isn't true. I should put less time into praying. I should put less time into reading the Bible. I should never try to witness. It was, I was a fool. I attempted it three times, and it looked stupid each time. I, I, need to, I need to be reasonable and just do what I need to do and get myself ahead in this world. And, you know, I'll go to church on Sunday, but I'm not going to put any more effort in it than that. Carry the Bible on Sunday morning to church, set the Bible on the dining room or on the coffee table uh, Sunday when I get home from church and pick it up again the next Sunday. You know, I'll pray for our food, but that's about it. I'm not going to go to any prayer meeting. I'm not going to go to a midweek service or a men's Bible study or women's Bible study. I I, I don't want to give myself wholly to in him living and moving to have my being because I'm not so sure if that's smart. I don't want to be a pagan I don't want to be this on fire Christian who in him lives and moves and has my being, who meditates in the word day and night, who prays without ceasing. I, I want to be a civilian Christian, not a soldier Christian. Sign me up for that. I'll do the civilian duty. But I don't want to be a soldier because that takes way too much work, it takes way too much time. See, the, the fiery darts of the enemy have worked. And you're not walking by faith to faith as you once did. But that's the thing. Those who are just will walk by faith. And so those fiery missiles come. They hold on God's word. We unify together, make a wall. And in unity as one together, we stop these fiery darts. First John two fourteen says, Oh, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then 1 John 2, 14, I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you shall overcome the wicked one. So we're going to find out next week that the sword is the word of God. But you know what we're discovering? That really faith comes from the word of God. So we're going to hear the word of God twice. 
We hear the word of God because it's faith that comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's knowing the truth, and the truth is the word of God. So really up front, to stop the fiery darts defensively is growing in the word of God to increase our faith, right? But then we're going to find offensively, the only offensive weapon we have. The Bible doesn't say we have a spear. Doesn't it say we have a bow and arrow? It just says a sword is all you need. Because that's who we are. We're bad. That's all we need. But we're going to discover that's the word of God too. So the word of God's used twice. It's the word of faith. It's the word of truth. It's the word in season. And we just quench out those fiery darts like Jesus did. But then it also, the word's going to be the sword that says, get behind me, Satan. That says, be gone, Satan. And we win the actual offensive battle as well, sometimes uh, against the enemy. Well, Lord, thank you for your word today. And Lord, I ask that every one of us would be soldiers, not civilians, in your kingdom. And Lord, help us to get out of our mind this easy believism, this easy Christianity where we just show up to church and sing a couple of songs, hear a message, and, and go on our way and don't think about you again until next Sunday. We know that that form has not worked, and it's brought death to Christianity in Germany. It brought death to Christianity in England, and now such a mentality is bringing death to Christianity in America. Because you've called us to be soldiers, every one of us. You've called every one of us to be ready and prepared, living with that belt of truth, living with that breastplate of righteousness, never taking off that shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, and always walking by faith, always having the word of God upon our lips, meditating on it day and night, being strong in the word, growing in our faith through the word, and having a very powerful shield that just quenches out the darts. They can't, those fires can't spread and affect a whole church. Those fires can't spread and affect the whole army. The, the fire that normally causes a, a lot of damage over a large area splatters and, and goes a long ways and lands on a lot of people. That that fire of the enemy is snuffed out. One after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next. Because just like you, Jesus, the word of God is in us and it's living and active. Just as we walk by faith. So Lord, we ask now that you would help every one of us to sign up for the military. To sign the, the letter of saying, um, I'll show up for boot camp <laughs> and I'll stay in the military until the day I die. Wake us up, Lord, or we know that Satan's going to take us down, especially in these last days where more than any other time in human history, we need to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.